So this is a good day to celebrate our interdependence. This is the first Sunday of our co-ministry. And where's my co-minister at? Thank you. And yet my co-minister is in France. What's the deal? (laughs) Meh. He'll be back. Um, This is the end of a long journey, a years-long journey, a full years-long journey from Ken and I, Reverend Ken and I, serving as assistant minister and lead minister to now serving as co-ministers, interdependent with each other. And in my first Sunday as Wellsprings executive minister... Yes, I did choose to talk about a movie for Spirit Flicks that's about a woman being a total boss. I didn't consciously choose it for that reason, but I did realize that later on. Joy is a movie that came out around Christmas time of last year. It stars Jennifer Lawrence as the inventor and entrepreneur Joy Mangano. It's a biopic about her entire life. And part of why I love the movie, actually, and why I chose it, is because she has a very exciting story that we get to see at the end about her success as an inventor, as an entrepreneur, as the queen of QVC and later the home shopping network, coming from very different beginnings. And the movie spends most of its time talking not about where she ended up, but about where she came from. The movie begins not with Joy Mangano, the adult, kicking ass and taking names, which she does do. It starts when she's a little girl. It starts on a snowy day with her family, where she is inside her room building things, cutting shapes out of paper, figuring out how to put them together so that they stand up three-dimensionally, we see that this is part of who she is, part of who she was born to be. She makes things. She builds things. And we meet all the people who shaped her in complex ways. We meet her grandmother, who loves her very much, who's always reminding her of her great gifts and her potential. We meet her parents, who struggle in a lot of different ways. We meet a half-sister of hers who she does not get along with. And we get kind of the Cliff's Notes version between little girl joy and young adult joy. We see in that Cliff's Notes version a story that might sound a lot like yours or like someone you know. A marriage and then a divorce. Two kids who she struggles to raise without the support of her ex-husband, even though he does live in the basement. Her parents' marriage falls apart, and her mother spends almost all of her time in a kind of anxiety-driven, agoraphobic world of her bedroom, watching soap operas. Her father goes from one woman to the next. We meet him as Joy as an adult when his current girlfriend knocks on the door and they open it up and she says, I don't want him anymore. And now her father is also living in the basement of her house. (laughs) And her grandmother is still there all along trying to remind her of who she is and what her gifts are. 
we watch her grow up and become a young adult for the first half of this movie, and we get a million, million clues all throughout that Joy is obviously the one who holds this family together. She has the job. She owns the home. She is the one who's opening her doors and cleaning up after people and helping to fix all of their messes. But she has lost something of herself in that process of holding it together for everyone else. She has these recurring dreams that are a mix of her memories from childhood and her mom's soap opera characters, where she keeps getting these pesky reminders from her little girl childhood self that she's not making things anymore. She's not creating. She's not doing what she has always wanted to be able to do. Joy is very clearly in survival mode in this movie, and it's a mode that I can relate to, that I bet some of us can relate to. That mode where stress is a constant emotion and experience in our lives, where the daily rigors of our responsibilities overtake us, and it feels like all we can do every morning is open up our calendars or our phones and say, okay, what's next? And move from the next thing to the next thing to the next thing, barely able to catch our breath. Watching Joy's character in this movie actually reminded me of another Joy from a different movie. Anyone see Inside Out? So Joy in Inside Out is also a kind of boss. Right? If you saw the movie, you know that she was the boss of the emotional landscape of the little girl in that movie, Riley. Joy lived in Riley's head along with anger and fear and disgust and, who am I forgetting? I said fear, but thank you. Yes, fear and sadness, right? And Joy wanted to rule them all. She would kind of let them have their place, but at the end of the day, Joy wanted to be in charge, right? Because we like Joy. We like feeling Joy. Look at her. She's great. I would want to hang out with her. Who wouldn't? But the problem was, because Joy was the boss and had to be the boss, that little girl, Riley, was always kind of bucking up, right? She was always putting on a happy face, never wanting to give her parents or her teachers or anyone else in her life a reason to worry about her, even though she was really struggling with the move that her parents put her through, leaving all her friends in her home, moving halfway across the country. There's a version of Inside Out that you can watch online with all of the internal emotion scenes removed. Has anyone seen it? No? Yeah? If you, if you Google it, you can find it under something like Inside Out Outside Edition. That's what a lot of people have called it. It's only about 15 minutes long. There's not much to the movie without what's going on inside Riley's head. But one of the headlines where you can find this video of all the emotion scenes removed from Inside Out, the, the headline writer is talking about the guy who edited these scenes together, and he says, this guy removed the inside scenes from Inside Out, and it's so much sadder. And it is. When we watch without the interplay and the mix, of emotions that go on inside Riley's head. All we see outside is what wins, 
the battle. We see that joy that she tries to project weakly on her face. We don't know anything else that's going on inside. All those internal battles with sadness and anger and disgust and fear. We can tell even from the outside that Joy is feeling a little beat up. A little worn and torn from having to cover for all those other guys inside her head. It can be so heartbreaking to watch someone try to hide their struggle. Of course, it can be heartbreaking to be that person ourselves as well. We try to hide the struggles that live inside of us. In the book, Daring Greatly, by the social worker and researcher Brene Brown, she writes a chapter about parenting to close her book where she really fleshes out that same point that she's making all throughout the rest of Daring Greatly, which is about vulnerability and shame and courage. It's about how we show up in our relationships and in our workplaces and our education system and as parents. It's that point she makes throughout all of those different environments where she says, at the end of the day, we want to be seen. We just want to be seen. We desperately want it, and yet we fear it. It takes courage to be seen, especially when we're struggling. Because to be truly seen is to be vulnerable to someone else's assessment of who we are. Vulnerable to how well someone thinks we are holding it all together. Or how well we did that thing that we did. Or how nicely we presented ourselves in that moment. Or how successful we were at predicting and planning for an outcome and making sure that things didn't fall to pieces. And when someone else doesn't like what they see, when we show them who we are, that can hurt. That can hurt very deeply. Brene Brown talks about her decision to close the book with parenting because of an interview that she saw with the author Toni Morrison. Toni Morrison was being interviewed by Oprah, like you do, and she was talking about her own experiences of parenting her children. And Brene Brown said, I saw this interview in May of the year 2000 when my own daughter, my first child, was just about to turn one year old. And Ms. Morrison explained in this interview that it's interesting to watch what happens when a child walks into the room where their parent is waiting. She asked, as a parent, does your face light up when they walk in the room? And then she said, I know that when my children used to walk in the room when they were little, I would look at them to see if they had buckled their trousers or if their hair was combed or if their socks were up. She said, you think... Your affection and your deep love is on display because you're caring for them and you're watching out for them. But it's not. When they see you, they see the critical face. They see what's wrong now, Mom. Brene Brown said, Toni Morrison's advice was simple, but it was totally paradigm-shifting for me. Let your face speak what's in your heart. She said, when they walk in the room, my face says, I'm glad to see you. 
I'm not just glad to see you. I'm overjoyed that you are a part of my life. Brene said, I think about that every day now. When my daughter comes bounding down the stairs dressed for school, I don't want my first comment to be, pull your hair back or those shoes don't match your dress. I want my face to convey how happy I am to see her and to be with her. When my son comes in the back door, sweaty and dirty from catching lizards outside, tracking mud into the house, I want to flash a smile before I say, don't touch anything until you wash your hands, please. (laughs) She said, so often we think that we earn parenting points by being critical and put out and exasperated. That holding it all together is the highest form of caring that we can offer. And of course it is a form of caring. It comes from caring. But there's a difference between wanting to see and fix someone's problems and wanting to see and love them in their problems. The second one is way harder. It's way less comfortable. It's so easy for all of us, to learn not to bother each other. To try to hold those feelings in, to do what outside Riley did in Inside Out. To put on a brave face and keep it all inside. Because we love each other. We don't want to be a burden. I have a very good friend right now who's going through one of the hardest things that I can imagine. She and her wife got pregnant about a year ago. And they discovered soon after she got pregnant that she was actually pregnant joyfully with twins. (laughs) Joyfully, depending on your perspective, right? (laughs) Now her due date was May 23rd. The babies were born on February 3rd. Yeah. That's the sound I made. (laughs) Almost four months early. One of her sons only lived for that first day. The other one is still with us. He's home now. It's the hardest thing I can imagine at this age to deal with. And what's been so remarkable about how my friend chose to deal with this, not that it's the right choice for everyone, but she made an unusual choice. She decided from that day, from February 3rd, that everything that happened to her, she was going to share. Every single day, usually multiple times a day, she is posting on Facebook and on social media and sharing with everyone that she knows everything she's going through. Pictures of her tiny, tiny little boy. All of the complex emotions that just are a crate, not roller coaster doesn't begin to describe it, right? It's like a weird time machine, what are those things called where you spin around, circum... Centrifuge, thank you, Susan. Um, It is so complex and hard to see. The pain of her loss zigzags over to the incredible gratitude that she feels for the nurses in the NICU who are just killing it at taking care of these tiny, tiny, precious babies. 
And that zigzags over to the deep anger that she feels at the hurtful things that well-meaning people say to her, like at least you still have one. And that zigzags over to the guilt and the shame that she feels for not having been able to keep her babies alive, to keep them inside her until they were really ready. And then that zigzags over to the heartbreaking details of the mundane things that she has to do. The phone calls with the insurance company where she says, I really wish at this point I had a recording I could just press play on to explain when they ask for details about my two kids. No, one of them died. That if, if I never had to say that sentence again to an anonymous voice on the other line at the insurance company, that would be a real gift. She is so unfiltered, and she is letting it all through. And I know that it has made many of her friends uncomfortable. I know that it is hard for a lot of us to see all of those emotions. And it has certainly made all of us wish that we could fix it. But there are some situations where we are so powerless to change it that we realize our only choice, the only choice we have left, is whether we will see it or not see it. Whether we will be there or not be there. It's hard to see all of the world's suffering. We can't always move towards. Sometimes we do have to look or move away. So I'm not going to say that there's a right or a wrong way But I will say that when we can see it and see each other, it brings us closer. It connects us more closely together. The last line of Brene Brown's parenting manifesto that she writes in that chapter in Daring Greatly is a promise to her child, a difficult promise. She says, I will not teach or love or show you anything perfectly, but I will let you see me, and I will always hold the sacred gift of seeing you. It's one of the greatest gifts of love that we can give to each other, to see each other and also to let other people see us even in that mix of wonder and potential and mess and gunk and crap that we all always are. About halfway through the movie, Joy, before we get to all of that exciting business-building entrepreneurial stuff, we have a key moment where Joy Mangano begins to realize all of the harm that her holding it all together habit is doing. She actually has this moment literally waking up from a dream. And she starts to draw some boundaries. She says some tough things to her family, some things that they do not want to hear. But she says them anyway. And most importantly, she listens finally to that younger version of herself that keeps showing up in those annoying recurring nightmares that she's having. 
that younger version of herself that is railing against all of the ways that Joy is hiding out from her true feelings. That younger version of herself says, when you're hiding, Joy, you're safe because people can't see you. But the funny thing about hiding, you're even hidden from yourself. You can't hide selectively, it turns out. All of those other emotions besides the good ones, the ones that Riley tries to hide in Inside Out, the ones that Joy doesn't think that her life leaves her time for or that her family can't handle, they are crying out to be seen. And she realizes that letting them out and showing the real her that's inside is the only way to get where she actually wants to be. And so, yes, she does go on to become a boss. She goes on actually to be ridiculously successful, worth $50 million, over 100 patents in her name. There's an exciting scene where she has a showdown with some kind of Texas business tycoon and a big hat. I didn't totally understand it, but she (laughs) exposes how he's been stealing from her and she settles all the debt that she's built up over all these years and building up her business. And she ends up sitting behind a big, heavy mahogany desk in a suit with her hair done. And she's able to give a new generation of struggling young inventors the break that she got. And so we get our fairy tale ending. But I love that we have to wait for it in this movie. That the movie spends time with her family and her past and her struggles. Because that was the life where nothing looked like that fairy tale ending. That was the life in which she had to make just one choice. Would she show up as herself? Would she let herself be seen, even the messy and the inconvenient parts that didn't seem to fit? I think we often believe we need to become something in order to be good enough to be really seen. But the truth is it's the other way around. We need to let ourselves be seen if we're ever going to have a hope of becoming something. It's a lot scarier. But good things can come of it. I want to close with a story about this that you may have heard before. We've told it here before, but I know that I find a new layer of it every time I hear it. The story from the novel Zorba the Greek by Nikos Kazantzakis. It's a story about walking in the forest where the narrator of the book comes upon this. A unique and incredible moment. I've never seen this moment. We all know what happens, right? There's a moment when the caterpillar after spending its time in the chrysalis, deforming and reforming and becoming something new, hatches, releases itself from that vice of transformation and flies away as the butterfly. So the narrator is walking in the woods and he comes across this cocoon just beginning to crack open, the butterfly just beginning to open its wings. And it takes a while looking at his watch. (laughs) He says, I waited a while 
but it was too long appearing, and I was impatient for the good stuff. So he cups his hands around the chrysalis, and he breathes warm air, thinking that the warmth of his breath and the love and the encouragement he wants to give this little butterfly will help it crack out of that chrysalis sooner. And he said, the miracle began to happen before my eyes, faster than life. The butterfly cracked out of the chrysalis, but its wings were folded back and crumpled. It couldn't fly. It had been coaxed out before its time. All out of love. But without that willingness to wait. It's hard to watch the struggle. It's hard to have patience and to let it take the time that it's going to take, whether it's our own or someone else's. But we can be seen in our struggles. And I know I thank God in my life for the people who have been willing to see me in mine, who watch and wait and don't look away, making space for joy to emerge in its own time leaving space to see what we will all become. Amen. And may you live in blessing. Will you pray with me? God of our changing lives, ground of being and presence, that sees all of it. Whatever mystery you might be, wherever you might be, however you might experience our lives, whether you know or experience our lives and their details at all, we can never be sure. But we know that our hearts are beating and our emotions are flying inside of our heads. We know that there is so much going on below the surface that we often feel we cannot show. So whatever presence you might be, help us realize that you see it all and that in being all of the feelings and all of the experiences and worries and sadnesses and angers and dreams and hopes that we carry. We are just as beloved and worthy as the person who shows up on the outside. In fact, we are more so on the inside. For these prayers on this day where we recognize all of the struggles that it took for us to be this free, and for these prayers I've spoken aloud and the prayers that each of these people carries on their hearts this morning, we say amen.